the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing Sam Maupin engineering today's program. We're going to talk with Lois Anderson. She is the executive director of Oregon Right to Life. We'll talk about House Bill 4034. It's an important piece of legislation that gives significant unnamed, uh, undetailed authority to the uh, health authority in the state of Oregon with regard to sex education. Uh, She'll join us uh, in the second hour to talk about uh, that. And as you might recall, the Oregon legislature is in session. This is the short year and uh, they only have next week to finish up their work. So the next few days, um, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen then. So uh, it's rather urgent that you communicate with your senator. That's where it is now in the Senate. We'll also talk with Danny Harlow. He is the host and founder of Harlow Wealth Retirement. Uh, he is going to talk with us about retirement and investments in a time of uncertainty. And, of course, with everything that's going on, high inflation, war and Uh, Ukraine. There are lots of questions about what's happening to my 401k. Is it possible to retire? Should I postpone? And if I'm already in retirement, can I afford to stay in retirement? We'll cover all of that when Danny Harlow joins us. Again, he is the host of Harlow Wealth Retirement Hour, heard right here on KPDQ on Saturdays and on our AM station as well. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program as well. Well, today is Ash Wednesday. The day gets its name from the ancient tradition of using ashes to draw a cross on the forehead of people attending mass that day as a sign of mortality and sorrow for sin. Now, some churches save palms from the previous year's Palm Sunday to burn them, and they make the ashes that are applied to people's foreheads roughly 11 months later. Uh, So if you see that smudge on someone's forehead, you know that's what it's about. Ash Wednesday is an ancient Catholic holiday. It marks the first day of Lent. The beginning of the 40 days leading up to Easter Sunday. Now, can you believe it? We're 40 days out from Easter Sunday. Well, Ash Wednesday 2022 is the first day of Lent, a 40-day period of preparation, fasting before Easter. Ash Wednesday is being observed, uh, well, today, uh, this year. Unlike Christians, uh, Christmas, rather, Ash Wednesday and Easter don't fall on a fixed date. Traditionally, Lent begins on the Monday of the seventh week before Easter and ends on the Friday that's nine days before Easter, according to uh, uh, resources. But during this period, many people give up something as they fast like their favorite food item or watching television. And some even go off social media as a way of spending that time reflecting on more important things. Well, believers in Christ around the world observe these days as special days of prayers, acts of charity and mortification. Uh, on Ash Wednesday, priests apply ash on the forehead of every person coming to the church, saying, Thou art dust. And unto dust thou shalt return, reminding people that while observing the precepts of the season, they must focus on the spirit of the season rather than external performance and appearance. It's a rather healthy reminder of that fact this 
Ash Wednesday. Well, during Lent, the faithful are also called on to practice more good deeds, such as almsgiving and to be participating um, particularly uh, close to the needy and the suffering. During Lent, Catholics are called on to give up something such as sweets. Now, it's not a requirement, but that's the tradition. Well, Ash Wednesday apparently started in ancient Rome. Sinners wore sackcloths. They covered themselves with ash in public penance. Easter concludes the 40-day period of fasting, Lent, Holy Thursday, celebration of Jesus' Last Supper, and the uh, crucifixion of Jesus Christ on Good Friday as part of the Holy Week, which ends on Resurrection or Easter Sunday. So that all begins for many whose tradition includes Ash Wednesday and the practice of Lent. So there you go. Well, there's a lot going on. And of course, uh, the president gave his State of the Union address last night. We've got the the escalating violence in Ukraine as Russia continues to move toward the capital city and uh, overtake some of the larger cities in the area. We don't know what the outcome will be. In fact, later in the program, I want to share a piece that Russell Moore wrote on the very subject of uh, the arrogance of war and the imagination of those who are in positions of power that they can somehow extend their life by um, exerting uh, influence over others. But the truth is, for every one of us, life will come to an end and we will give an account for the life we lived. And uh, he urged to his readers, and you can find that at Christianity Today, to take some solace in the fact that while uh, he may enjoy a modicum of popularity among some members in the Russian uh, community, at least uh, oligarchs who may or may not support his actions, that they will come to an end and he will be held accountable for the lives and deaths that um, uh, have occurred since all of this began. Bill McLeod, uh, in his uh, recent email, made the point that uh, not only is Ukraine second in size only to Russia, talking about that that uh, region, but it's also the main missionary sending country for Eastern Europe and Central Asia. Now, I did not know that, that Ukraine is the uh, the number one Uh, the main missionary sending country for Eastern Europe and Central Asia. So not only does this have an impact on the nation of Ukraine and the people there, and that's worthy of our attention in and of itself, but it will also have a significant impact on missionaries uh, who come in uh, out of in large numbers, that part of uh, the world representing Eastern Europe and Central Asia He writes that as um, this drama was unfolding almost 6,000 miles away, Mission Connection's annual short-term Mission Connection was taking place here in Portland, helping church leaders focus on re-engaging short-term missions in 2022. So the work continues, and as we are contemplating or preparing for short-term missions out of our respective communities, remember that missionaries who have been commissioned and come out of Um, Eastern Europe and Central Asia, for the most part, come out of Ukraine. Keep them in your prayers uh, through all of this. Also, the United Nations General Assembly passed an historical resolution on Wednesday condemning Russia's deadly invasion into Ukraine and demanded it withdraw its forces immediately. The resolution holds no legal authority, but it serves as a symbol of global unity against Russian President Putin, as only five of the 181 nations present for the vote oppose the measure. The U.S., along with 140 other nations, supported the resolution. 35 nations abstained, including authoritarian regimes like China, Cuba, Iran, uh, Russia, Belarus, Eritrea, 
North Korea and Syria voted against the resolution. The vote was met with a standing ovation. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments to continue to wind our way through some of the day's news on this Ash Wednesday. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Later in the program, we'll talk with Lois Anderson. There's a piece of legislation you need to be aware of, House Bill 4034. Just days away from it passing in the Oregon legislature. We'll give you all the details when she joins us in the second hour of today's program. Well, as I mentioned, the United Nations General Assembly passed an historical resolution today condemning Russia's deadly invasion. Those who voted against it Uh, There were um, 35 nations who abstained, including authoritarian regimes like China, Cuba and Iran, Russia, Belarus, Eritrea, North Korea and Syria voted against the resolution. The vote was met with a standing ovation. Well, ahead of the vote today, U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Linda Thomas-Greenfield called the rare emergency special session an extraordinary moment. She noted it was the first time in 40 years that an emergency meeting had been called. Most of the men and women fighting in Ukraine were not even born the last time the United Nations came together in this way to unite. She went on to say, but a few of the Ukrainians and Russians might recall a moment like this, a moment when one aggressive European nation invaded another without provocation to claim the the territory of its neighbor. A moment when a European dictator declared he would return his empire to its former glory, an invasion that caused a war so horrific that it spurned this organization into existence. Well, the U.N. ambassador said Russia's actions have once again challenged the international body to remember that it was established to prevent war. Russia's increased its use of force after being met with Ukrainian resistance that security officials have suggested surprised Vladimir Putin and stalled the invasion. Hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians have fled. Countless citizens remain behind to stand with armed forces to fend off Russian advances, including the Ukrainian president Zelensky. He was uh, has remained in Ukraine despite evacuation offers from Western allies, praised the outcome of the Wednesday vote and said the results convincingly show that a global anti-Putin coalition has been formed and is functioning. The world is with us. The truth is on our side, he added. The Ukraine State Emergency Service has reported that 2,000 Ukrainians have been killed since fighting began a week ago. The foreign ministry has also claimed that 5,000 Russian soldiers have been killed during the incursion. Putin has attempted to claim justification for his invasion by alleging that members of the Ukrainian government are neo-Nazis and responsible for human rights abuses. Now, Zelensky is himself a Jew. But security officials have urged Putin has a long desired to reunite the former Soviet bloc. How many lives will be sacrificed for his cynical ambitions? Thomas Greenfield questioned. Uh, again, the U.S. ambassador arguing his uh, actions have constituted war crimes that violate the Geneva Convention. Well, China on Wednesday said it would not consider sanctioning Russia for its illegal invasion of Ukraine and said it will continue with normal trade cooperation. Now, many are watching China closely because they're concerning, concerned rather that this uh, will, in fact, uh, embolden um, China with regard to Thailand. Well, the Chinese, uh, the Chinese abstained during a United Nations General Assembly vote on Wednesday on a non-binding resolution. Russian President Putin ordered a special military operation last week, and Ukraine has endured seven days of brutal fighting that's resulted in the deaths of 
2,000 Ukrainians and reportedly 5,000 Russian soldiers. Well, in response to the deadly invasion, the U.S., Canada, Japan, Australia, New Zealand and dozen of Euro- dozens rather of European nations slapped severe sanctions on Russia. Russian banks, businesses, Putin and other elite members of the Russian government and society. But despite its repeated claims that it respects a state's sovereignty, China has refused to outright condemn Russian aggression or institute sanction. China firmly opposes all illegal unilateral sanctions and believes that sanctions are never fundamentally effective uh, means to solve problems. That's a quote from a spokesperson from China's foreign ministry, Wang Weiben, on Wednesday. They will only create serious difficulties to the economies and livelihoods of relevant countries and further intensify divisions and confrontation. Now, China is most likely speaking in its own self-interest, anticipating its own effort to reunite with Taiwan. China and Russia will continue to conduct normal trade cooperation in the spirit of mutual respect, equality and mutual benefit. The spokesman went on to say, well, China surprised the international community last week when two of its largest state owned banks restricted financing for Russian commodity purchases. But the limited move reflected China's reluctance to take a stronger stance against its top ally. A resolution put forward by the permanent members of the U.N. Security Council condemning Russia's illegal invasion failed to pass on Friday after Russia, a permanent member of that panel, vetoed the measure and China abstained from voting. The U.N. held a rare emergency special session of the 193-member U.N. General Assembly today. Well, humanitarian, uh, the situation there is deteriorating rapidly as the Ukraine tragically um, is unfolding. The International Fellowship of Christians and Jews said that Ukraine's people are brave, but they're running out of time. As the situation there heats up and Russia's invading forces increasingly unleash violence around the country, especially in civilian areas, uh, Yael Erickson, founder and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, shared some detailed information and heartfelt concerns um, uh, on Wednesday morning. Well, the situation is catastrophic, as he described it. People are strong. They're brave. Uh, He said in an email about what's going on there. The women and children also are running out of time, she added urgently. Uh, Imagining, uh, imagine packing up your car to flee with your children, finding every roadblock as you uh, hear air raid sirens in the background. How long can someone live in a bomb shelter or a subway? She added that the humanitarian situation is deteriorating rapidly and it's dire. Um, Eckstein also reported on Wednesday, just this morning, we were working on a sensitive operation to evacuate Jewish children who have been uh, have lost their lives. We managed to get them to a second country in order to evacuate them to the safety of Israel. It's getting harder to do that. She added that Americans may not realize that Ukraine has one of the largest Jewish communities in the world. Uh, We've worked with the community for over 30 years, she says, many Ukrainian Jews are Holocaust survivors and virtually all of them are descendants of survivors. Uh, on that point, she also said, how tragic would it be to survive the Holocaust but to die of starvation or to run out of gas on the way to the border? The International Fellowship of Christians and Jews is continuing to provide emergency assistance to Ukraine and in Ukraine and is helping families seek shelter, according to the organization. We are in the process of arranging a conversation with the organization to give us some more insight of what's happening within the country and uh, some ways that we can help. Well, seven days after the Kremlin ordered troops to invade Ukraine, Russia claims to have captured the key southern Iranian port city of Kherson 
as its ground uh, forces press toward the capital city of Kiev, neighboring Crimea, which Russia invaded and annexed in 2014. Uh, Kyrgyzstan has been a tense battleground this week before Russia allegedly seized it. The Russian division of the armed forces had taken the regional center of Kyrgyzstan under full control, according to a Russian defense minister spokesperson speaking in a televised interview. Ukraine contests that claim, however. An advisor to President Zelensky told Reuters that street fighting has erupted and that Russia had yet to stabilize the area. The city has not fallen. Our side continues to defend with whatever tools, whatever weapons they have. Struggling to secure a single major population center for a week and facing resilient Ukrainian resistance, Russian forces appear to be recalibrating their strategy, resorting to the indiscriminate air bombardment of cities. Um, Kharkiv, Ukraine's second largest city in the east, has suffered perhaps the most severe damage. In the last 24 hours alone, we're told, authorities claim 21 people were killed by shelling airstrikes there, according to uh, Reuters. Kharkiv and Kiev uh, represent the eastern and northern fronts of the war. They're both still occupied by Ukrainians and are being defended by Ukrainians. The question now is, for how long? The answer is, not very long. There are lots of promises being made. Uh, about uh, help that's on the way, but will it arrive in time? Uh, it may be too late at this point, as is. Well, as you know, the president delivered his State of the Union address, his first, and in the midst of a very challenging season. We'll talk more about uh, what the president had to say, what he didn't say, and what critics are saying about the president's first State of the Union address. Uh, we'll get into that and much more uh, when we return from the break in just a few moments. Also, a reminder, coming up in the second hour, we'll talk with the executive director of Oregon Right to Life, Lois Anderson. She is uh, sending the alarm on House Bill 4034. It's a piece of legislation uh, that would give carte blanche with regard to abortion policy in the state of Oregon without accountability. We'll give her an opportunity to explain when she joins us in the next hour, we'll also talk with Danny Harlow. As you know, uncertainty is sort of the word of the hour. We're not sure what the future holds. Of course, we never are. But given the current circumstances, the war in Ukraine and uh, high inflation, um, the supply chain disruptions and so on, it's having an impact on those who are in retirement and those who are preparing for enti- retirement. So we'll talk with uh, Danny Harlow, who is the founder of uh, Harlow Wealth Retirement. Um, and the host of Harlow Wealth Retirement uh, heard here on KPDQ about um, what to expect during this time of uncertainty. So that's coming up in the second hour as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, yesterday was President Biden's first State of the Union address. I'm trying to remember how many State of the Union addresses I've talked about over the years. It can be a bit exhausting, I'll just say. Well, in his first State of the Union speech, the president on Tuesday night, he addressed Russia's invasion of Ukraine, as expected, rising inflation at home, an ongoing border crisis, a fading COVID-19 pandemic. And you might have noticed that members of Congress were not required to wear their masks The president also spoke to a joint session of Congress last April. He made numerous assertions of his administration's success in a speech that lasted just over an hour. Um, My report is this. The State of the Union is strong because you, the American people, are strong. 
president said, who had been criticized as divisive at the end of his speech, adding, we are stronger today than we were a year ago, and we will be stronger a year from now than we are today. Now is our moment to meet and overcome the challenge of our time, and we will as one people. Well, some of the things that the president made reference to, one of the things he said was, we were ready for Putin's invasion. I'm not quite sure how to interpret that. He addressed the biggest issue in international politics. And of course, that's Russian President Putin's unfolding invasion of Ukraine and the response from the United States and its allies. Throughout our history, the president said, uh, we've learned their, uh, we've learned this lesson. When dictators do not pay a price for their aggression, they cause more chaos. They keep moving and the costs and threats to America and the world keep rising. He noted that the United States is a member of the 30 nation NATO military alliance. It matters. American diplomacy matters, the president said. Putin's war was premeditated and unprovoked. He rejected efforts at diplomacy. He thought the West and NATO wouldn't respond. And he thought uh, he would uh, divide us here at home. Putin was wrong. And he made reference to our strength. Well, how ready was the administration and allies? Um, Well, that's pretty much an open debate. Russian troops have massed on the Ukrainian border since November. President Zelensky urged President Biden and others to impose sanctions on Russia before an invasion could occur. As a preventative measure, the administration, the European allies, imposed sanctions on Russian financing a day after uh, Putin's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. So timing is something of a question. Well, the president also commented on the state of the economy and the job market. He didn't shy away from uh, touting his accomplishments on the economy and job market as the uh, no- the nation begins to emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic, saying, in fact, our economy created over 6.5 million new jobs just last year, more jobs created in one year than ever before in the history of America. Our economy grew at a rate of 5.7% last year, the strongest growth in nearly 40 years. The first step in bringing fundamental change to an economy that hasn't worked for the working people of this nation for too long. Well, the economy indeed added about 6.5 million jobs in the last year that the president has been president, the largest increase for a president in his first year in office. However, the increase came in the wake of a wide-scale shutdown of the American economy during the pandemic. The total number of jobs is far below what it was under President Donald Trump in 2020 when the U.S. lost 9.5 million jobs. Worse, the U.S. currently faces a serious labor shortage with a near record 11 million job openings. Job openings currently at 10.9 million are 40 percent above the pre-pandemic record and more than double the prior 10-year average. Rachel uh, Gresler, a labor expert from the Heritage Foundation, uh, pointed out. Consequently, employers are struggling with 49 percent of businesses reporting job openings that they're unable to fill. So, again, solving the border crisis. Now, the president widely uh, criticized for allowing hundreds of thousands into the country across the southern border during his first year in office, boasted of improvements there. Now, that was a bit hard to uh, to understand. The president said at our uh, border, we've installed new technology like uh, cutting edge scanners to better detect drug smuggling. We've set up joint patrols with Mexico and Guatemala to catch more human traffickers, he said. He added, we're putting in place uh, dedicated immigration judges so families fleeing persecution and violence can have their cases heard faster. We're securing commitments and supporting partners in South and Central America to host more refugees and secure their own borders. He tried to clear um 
to make it clear that he didn't abandon the nation's southern border, but his actions during his first year as president, such as reversing the Remain in Mexico policy, which a judge has now said must be reinstated, and stopping construction of the border wall, haven't shown positive results. Illegal immigration and border crossings increased significantly. The administration officials initially said in early 2021 that this was a seasonal problem, but that flow turned into the highest surge in 21 years, according to the Wall Street Journal. In the year 2021, U.S. Census uh, Customs and Border Protection rather captured 1.95 million um, immigrants crossing the border illegally on the South compared to uh, much smaller numbers under the previous administration, marking a 283 percent jump. It was recently reported that Border Patrol agents encountered 153,941 border crossers in January compared to 78,000 in January of 2021. The president also said American Rescue Plan versus the 2017 tax cuts. He spoke on the subject, touting the American Rescue Plan, the $1.9 trillion spending bill he crafted with congressional Democrats in the name of COVID relief. And unlike the $2 trillion tax cut passed in the previous administration, the president said, that benefited the top 1% of Americans, the American Rescue Plan helped working people and left no one behind, he said. Well, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 The president was referring to supported by then President Donald Trump and congressional Republicans actually benefited all working Americans and not just the top one percent, according to many analysts. Uh, It was reported that following the passage of the bill, the labor market improved. The tax cuts were the largest for the lowest income Americans and smallest for the top one percent. Analysts noted also they indicated that the top one percent paid more after a passage of the bill than before. Well, the Daily Signal reported that 83,000 more Americans left their jobs for a, a better options at the end of 2019, marking a surge in new job openings for the year after passage of the, tra- the uh, Trump tax cuts as well. Well, assessing the tax burden, the president said under my plan, nobody earn, earning less than $400,000 a year will pay an additional penny in new taxes. Nobody. Not exactly correct. He failed the, to... Uh, The $4.6 trillion Build Back Better spending bill, which passed in the House but met defeat in the Senate, would have increased taxes directly and indirectly for Americans who make less than $400,000 a year, according to analysts. Well, the uh, Tax Policy Center, which is left-leaning, said Biden's plan would increase taxes on middle-income Americans. So this is someone in his own camp. Taking into account all major tax provisions, roughly 20 percent to 30 percent of middle income households would pay more in taxes in 2022. The tax policy center said, although it noted that these increases would be relatively small among those with a tax increase, low and middle income households would pay an additional one hundred dollars or less on average. Um, Those making two hundred thousand to five hundred thousand dollars would pay on average of about two hundred thirty dollars more. Well, the big back build back better spending bill proposed by the uh, the president and congressional Democrats would have raised many other taxes. It would have increased capital gains taxes, would have increased the corporate tax rate to twenty six point five percent, which indirectly decreases wages and increases consumer prices. And the plan also would raise uh, nicotine taxes substantially. But many measures these or rather by many measures, these um, taxes would fall disproportionately on less affluent Americans.
The uh, president uh, pitched a plan that he said would cut inflation and create jobs, lower your cost and lower the deficit. One way to fight inflation is to drive down wages and make Americans poorer. I have a better plan to fight inflation, the president said, adding lower your costs, not your wages. Make more cars and semiconductors in America, more infrastructure and innovation in America, more goods moving faster and cheaper in America, more jobs where you can earn a good living in America. And instead of relying on foreign supply chains, let's make it in America. Who would disagree with that? Well, the president went on to say, my plan to fight inflation will lower your costs and lower the deficit. Well, it's not known what the actual cost estimate for the uh, proposal will be. His past promises don't have a strong record. Last year, the president failed to sell the $4.6 trillion BBB, the Build Back Better spending bill, as not adding a single penny to the national debt or the annual Deficit. However, the Congressional Budget Office begged to differ. They determined that the spending bill would increase the deficit by three trillion dollars from 2022 and to 2031 and 1.2 trillion infrastructure spending, which passed earlier with some Republican support, uh, will add two hundred and fifty six billion dollars to the deficit, according to the Congressional Budget Office. The president cast his administration as fiscally responsible, saying by the end of this year, the deficit will be down to less than half of what it was before I took office, adding that he is the only president ever to cut the deficit by more than one trillion dollars in a single year. Well, the budget deficit totaled two point seven seven trillion dollars in 2021, according to the Associated Press. That's still the second highest deficit on record after the three point one three trillion dollars the previous year when Trump was still president. The deficits in both years reflect trillions of dollars in government spending to count to uh, counteract the devastating effects of global pandemic. AP reported before the deficit ballooned during the two years of the global pandemic, the highest, the biggest deficit had been a shortfall of one point four trillion in 2009. Well, the Congressional Budget Office projects that the deficit will fall by to one point one five trillion in the current budget year and dip below one trillion between 2023 and 2025. However, the CBO projects the deficit again will surpass one trillion a year from 2025 to 2031. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, talking about the State of the Union address. They're always very lengthy. A lot is said, and it's difficult to know. Were the numbers correct? Did they add up? Is this what actually happened or will happen in the future? So it's a bit of a challenge to follow as you go through. Um, the rising energy crosses, uh, costs rather was certainly one of the elements of the president's speech that many were waiting to hear from. In it, the president said he would cut energy costs for families an average of $500 a year by combating climate change. One of the key ways he said he would attack inflation is by fighting climate change. I'm not sure under our current cir- circumstance how that um, pencils out, but the president said Americans would save on average $500 annually by joining together to combat Uh, Let's provide investments and tax credits to weatherize your home and business to be energy efficient. And you get a tax credit, double America's clean energy production in solar, wind and so many more. Lower the price of electric vehicles, saving you another $80 a month, $80 a month, uh, because you'll never have to pay at the gas pump. Well, electric does require a modicum of gas, but that's another subject. The most effective way to promote environmentally friendly Um, Innovations is through economic freedom, Anthony Kim points out. 
Responding to the president's statement, countries with greater economic freedom tend to fare better on protecting the environment than countries with more government directed economies. Well, suppress and subvert the vote. At one point, he addressed uh, uh, the most fundamental right in America is the right to vote and to have it counted. And it's under assault, the president said. In state after state, new laws have been passed not only to suppress the vote, but to subvert entire elections. Well, that's a political statement. There are two different perspectives on how elections uh, should be conducted. And, of course, to villainize one's opponent is what both sides do. The president called for the Senate to pass two federal elections bills, the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. The president wasn't specific about how new state laws would suppress voting or subvert the outcome, but that's the standard line. A total of 19 states enacted new election uh, reforms in 2021. The common themes of those laws were to expand voter ID requirements for mail-in ballots, curb controversial practice of ballot harvesting that allows political operatives to collect and distribute large quantities of ballots and be present in a voter's home when he or she votes and require states to remove the names of dead voters and other ineligible voters from the registration. Now, many states also banned private funding of election administration in response to Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg spending almost $400 million on funding election administration at the state and local level during the 2020 primary in Democrat-leaning jurisdictions. Well, as passed in 2021, Georgia's new voting law, perhaps most criticized by Democrats, is demonstrably less restrictive than voting laws in Democrat-leading states like New York, Colorado, New Jersey, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Rhode Island. Notably, Delaware, the state the president represented in the Senate from 1973 until 2009, will have early in-person voting for the first time in the 2022 elections. The new Georgia voting law expanded early in-person voting. And the president uh, made a point to address Americans who aren't heterosexual. Um, Conservatives oppose the Congressional Democrats Equality Act currently bogged down in the Senate, in part because of concerns that it would restrict religious freedom. And the president also made that a a point of discussion in the State of the Union address. A lot said uh, whether or not it pencils out is always the challenge after the speech is made. Uh, Nonetheless, it was made. There were. Three critics following the president's speech, one, the Republican, which is traditional, and two from his own party. Well, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds criticized the president's foreign and domestic policy on Tuesday and the Republican response to the State of the Union address. This is not the same country it was a year ago, she said. The president tried to paint a different picture tonight, but his actions over the last 12 months didn't match the rhetoric. Reynolds is an Iowa native and grandmother of 11. She uh, said she felt the country has moved backward instead of marking uh, forward. We're now one year into his presidency, and instead of moving America forward, it feels like President Biden and his party have sent us back in time to the late 70s and early 80s when runaway inflation was hammering families, a violent crime wave was crashing our cities, and the Soviet army was trying to redraw the world map. Um, She also said now all Americans must stand united in solidarity with the brave people of Ukraine as they courageously defend their country from Vladimir Putin. She went on to say that we shouldn't ignore what happened in the run up to Putin's invasion, waiving uh, sanctions on Russia's pipeline while eliminating oil production here at home, focused on political correctness rather than military readiness, reacting to world events instead of driving them Uh, She said the president's poor uh, domestic policy has made the U.S. weak at the global level. But she wasn't the only uh, critic of the president's State of the Union address. Uh, That was also uh, what um, Rashida Tlaib had to say. And 
uh, in response to the president's speech. Perhaps the strongest indication of the uh, the president's um, approval rating is the sheer number of Democrats who last night tripped over themselves to rebut his uh, very existence. We can't blame them. Lashing out is what people do when their career um, dissipation. Well, it starts flickering. Uh, were this a normal year and were Biden a normal president, the standard response from a representative of the out of party, out of power party, in this case, Iowa representative, um, a, a rather governor, Kim Reynolds, would have been enough. But uh, this time there were other critics from the party of the president. Uh, Rashida Tlaib, um, the two term Detroit congresswoman and the oldest of 14 children, was profoundly moved on the night of November 6, 2018, when she became the first Palestinian-American woman elected to uh, to Congress. So much uh, so that she tenderly told her young son, we're going to impeach the well, I won't repeat the language. Uh, She began her friendly 15 minute rebuttal, uh, rebuttal to President Biden. By telling us that she grew up in the most beautiful, blackest city in the country, the city of Detroit. We're not sure what um, to make of this uh, attempt to pander to black constituents, but the Motor City was a drug-addled, murder-ravaged city when she um, was growing up in the 1980s. She lamented the sad fact that she and her fellow um, uh, members had yet to abolish the filibuster, ram through the Green New Deal, codify abortion on demand with a constitutional amendment. And she blamed uh, these progressive failures on two dark forces, a Republican Party that serves only the rich and the powerful, just enough corporate backed a Democrat obstructionist to help them succeed. Apparently, no one has informed the congresswoman that her uh, party is um, pretty rich and privileged in and of itself. But nonetheless, that was the criticism uh, from the left flank of the president during the State of the Union address. I'm not sure if that's um, unprecedented where you have critics from your own party responding to the State of the Union. Well, in other news, a team of elite Chechen commandos sent into Ukraine to hunt down the and assassinate President Zelensky was eliminated by security forces. That's according to a top Kiev defense official. Game over. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has reverberated across the sports world. Anticipating Putin's revenge, a former CIA official warned that Russian President Vladimir Putin could launch cyber attacks against America's supply chain in response to economic sanctions. And is the media um, jilting President Biden? A CNN anchor, Jake Tapper, suggested President Biden is not getting credit over his handling of the ongoing Russia-Ukraine crisis. Well, AOC is upset again. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez blasted President Biden's State of the Union address for leaving out key issues. And President Biden confronted Russian President Vladimir Putin's multi-front war on Ukraine during his first State of the Union, promising deficit reduction. He pledged in his first uh, speech to trim the U.S. deficit by a trillion by the end of 2022. Vice President Kamala Harris was seen mouthing words after the president mixed up Ukrainians with Iranians in his first State of the Union speech. And in an uncharacteristic outburst, Representative Lauren Boebert yelled at President Biden during the State of the Union address to condemn him for the 13 American service members killed during the deadly withdrawal from Afghanistan. Representative Elise Stefanek, a Republican from New York, was among those who blasted the president for the uh, dependent state of uh, U.S. energy. And Senator Ted Cruz ripped the president's State of the Union, claiming that the president ignored several important issues. He and Tlaib on the same page on that one. Censorship in the U.S. is increasing. Big tech is aligning with U.S. intel agencies during Russia's invasion of Ukraine to censor anyone who does not hold what they consider the correct view.
Representative Michael Waltz says America is on the verge of losing a second Democratic partner in the iron fist or rather to the iron fist of authoritarianism just six months after the fall of Kabul. Nicole Safir points out that for the first time in two years, children are walking back into classrooms mask free. For too long, policymakers and public perception has associated success with the absence of COVID-19. Rebecca Heinrichs reminds that Vladimir Putin has ratcheted up his nuclear threats during his war of aggression against Ukraine. Judith Miller asks if Putin's crazy. The Mad Hatter theme is now becoming conventional wisdom among some of the foreign policy elite and the media. Carjackings have skyrocketed 200 percent or more in multiple big cities across the country in the past year as law enforcement officials are pleading for help. Elena Zelensky, the wife of Ukrainian President Zelensky, may shun the spotlight, but she has risen to become his most steadfast supporter. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming here at the top of the hour. And in our second hour, we'll talk with Lois Anderson of Oregon Right to Life and Danny Harlow of the Harlow Wealth Retirement Hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. In this hour, we'll talk with Lois Anderson, Executive Director of Oregon Right to Life. We'll talk about House Bill 4034. I'll give you all the details coming up at our next segment. We'll also hear from Danny Harlow with Harlow Wealth Retirement Hour, heard right here on KPDQ. We're going to talk about retirement and investments in a time of, well, uncertainty. Whether you're retired or anticipating retirement at some point in the not-too-distant future, we'll find out what we need to think about and if uh, retirement needs to be put off, given the current challenges with inflation and so on. Well, the advancing Russian armored column is bogged down due to the lack of supplies, we're being told. Uh, What we're seeing are columns that are literally out of gas, and now they're starting to run out of food for the troops. That's according to an official um, speaking at the Pentagon. We're only on day seven of the invasion. Russia's troops in Ukraine are primarily conscripts pressed into military service, and Pentagon officials said that they have seen signs that morale in some units is low. More civilians have become targets as well. Well, following the lead of Netflix and Disney, more of the entertainment industry is rejecting the invaders. Uh, Roku has removed Russia State TV from their platform. Well, the U.S. has banned all Russian flights from its airspace. Now, the, the goal, of course, is to put pressure on Vladimir Putin and the people who live in Russia are the collateral damage in all of this. Well, the White House has previously signaled that it was not leaning towards shuttering U.S. airspace. But on Monday, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said banning Russian planes was not off the table. But that could uh, um, be a negative could have negative effects on U.S. airlines that fly over Russia. Russia has retaliated against countries that close their airspace by imposing its own restrictions. The U.S. airline industry had already been withdrawing from serving Russia. By Tuesday, American Airlines and United suspended their flights over the country, um, given the ongoing crisis. 
Europe is facing economic crisis due to the war. The story notes that shortages of auto parts made in Ukraine are bringing assembly lines in Europe to a halt, a sign that the disruption of Europe's economy from the Russian invasion could be greater than expected. The Wall Street Journal says European governments are scrambling to shore up their natural gas supply if Russia cuts off exports. But one question worth raising, how in the world did Europe leave itself so vulnerable to Vladimir Putin's energy extortion? Senator Cotton declares we're leading from behind. In an interview with Hugh Hewitt, Senator Tom Cotton explained this is the famous Barack Obama formulation that governed our Libya policy when Secretary of State Hillary Clinton was in charge and Tony Blinken was the vice president um, now a pres- uh, President Biden's national security advisor. We're back to leading from behind. The Europeans are actually tougher than we are. Germany, of all people, is doing more than we are. They're already voting, um, have already voted 100 million euros into a special fund. Will the appropriators get to work? Uh, will armed services and intel get to work and get supplemental done? Well, it's uh, important to note that the close proximity may fuel some of that um, that action. Democrats lost yet another incumbent to Ted Deutsch announcing his retirement. The Florida Democrat is the 31st to choose to leave on his own terms rather than risk the coming midterms. Missouri University is being mocked for celebrating Woman X Month. Enough said. Big tech and big oil have joined the mass exodus of businesses from Russia. ExxonMobil. Uh, announced on Tuesday that it, too, would be joining the growing list of companies pulling out of Russia. Exxon now makes the third energy giant to end business there, the two others being BP and Shell. But it's not just big oil bolting. Boeing and Apple also announced that they're halting business there, uh, which will further isolate and negatively impact the country's suddenly tanking economy. Exxon explained its decision. We deplore military action that violates the territorial integrity of Ukraine. Ukraine and endangers its people. The decision will cost Exxon more than $4 billion in assets. Apple CEO Tim Cook Tuesday, he agreed to Ukraine Vice President, um, uh, Prime Minister rather, um, uh, Fedorov's uh, request for the company to stop selling products to Russia, as well as removing Russia's state-run media from its app store. Joe Manchin sits with Republicans during the State of the Union address, many asking what that might mean, saying it was beyond uh, humanity. Zelensky condemns Russia's missile attack on the sacred Holocaust memorial, Baba Yar. EU countries won't send Ukraine fighter jets after all, and more than 140 diplomats walk out of the U.N. during the Russian defense of Ukraine invasion. Russian state-backed media outlets are getting blocked, TikTok, Meta. YouTube and other companies are moving to block RT and other outlets. Oil jumps to the highest since 2011 as OPEC holds um, output steady. A mandatory U.S. military training program pushes soldiers to undergo gender reassignment surgery. All that while Ukraine burns. Uncanceled, Biden includes Dr. Seuss in Read Across America Day. The proclamation after excluding him last year, I've since learned that they have updated and made Dr. Zeus more woke. 
Uh, Greg Abbott and Beto O'Rourke won their Texas gubernatorial primates, uh, primaries. rather. And a new report shatters the media lie that CRT isn't taught in Virginia schools. The Federalist has more on that. Well, on this day in history, 1836, the Republic of uh, Texas formally declares its independence from Mexico. 1877, Republican Rutherford B. Hayes is declared the winner of the 1876 presidential election over Democrat Samuel J. Tilden, even though Tilden wins the popular vote. 1917, Puerto Ricans are granted U.S. citizenship as President Woodrow Wilson signs the Jones-Shafroth Act. 1933, the motion picture King Kong has its world premiere at New York City's Radio City Music Hall and the Roxy. 1939, the Massachusetts legislature votes to ratify the Bill of Rights 147 years after the first 10 amendments to the U.S. Constitution went into effect. Georgia and Connecticut would soon follow. On this day in history, 1962, Wilt Chamberlain scores 100 points for the Philadelphia Warriors against the New York Knicks, an NBA record that still stands. By the way, Philadelphia wins 169 to 147. 1985, the government approves a screening test for AIDS that detects antibodies to the virus, allowing possibly contaminated blood to be excluded from the blood supply. 1989, representatives from the 12 European Community Nations agreed to ban all production of CFCs, chlorofluorocarbons, the synthetic compounds blamed for destroying the Earth's ozone layer by the end of the 20th century. 1995, the Internet search engine website Yahoo is incorporated by founders Jerry Yang and David Filo. 2018, at a funeral before an invitation-only crowd of approximately 2,000 in Charlotte, North Carolina, the children of Reverend Billy Graham remember America's pastor as a man devoted to spreading the gospel and one who practiced what he preached. That was 2018. Well, coming up, we'll have a conversation with Lois Anderson, executive director of Oregon Right to Life. There's a piece of legislation that, despite efforts to um, uh, to put an end to its progress, passed in the House and now sits in the Senate. There are only a few days left in the legislative session. She'll explain why this is important and what you can do. We'll also talk with Danny Harlow of Harlow Wealth Retirement Hour, heard here on KPDQ as well as elsewhere. We'll talk about retirement, investments, in a time of uncertainty. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as you might recall, and if you don't uh, blink quickly enough, you might forget that the Oregon legislature is currently in session. For those of you who've been following, good for you. It's a short session, but a lot can happen or not happen in that short period of time. One of the things we want to draw your attention to is House Bill 4034. It is a piece of legislation that is very important, particularly a couple of sections within that legislation. It has to do with... um, Uh, The Oregon Health Authority uh, gaining an undefined power to create reproductive health care programs and education and make some pretty controversial Reproductive Health Equity Act uh, elements permanent. Well, here to explain all of that and what else is going on in the Oregon legislature, I always hold on to my wallet and spend time on my knees when the legislature is in session, is Lois Anderson. She is the executive director of Oregon Right to Life. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Georgine. It's good to be with you. Now, let me begin by just asking the broad question. Has this been a good year for pro-life legislation in the Oregon legislature? Um, it, it has not. Uh, 
in that we did introduce some very reasonable, broad-based pro-life legislation that was ignored. However, I will say that um, other than this bill that we're going to talk about today, there hasn't been a big push. We weren't sure what was in store for us um, when we were looking toward this uh, very short, very fast session happening, um, if they would uh, try to push some more radical legislation, and and they haven't. At least we think they haven't. That's what's part of the issue with this bill that we're talking about is it's so vague and gives such Mm. broad power to um, a state agency that we're very, very concerned about what's coming down the road. And rightfully so. We're talking about House Bill 4034. My understanding is it's left committee um, without any amendments. Uh, It's uh, being carried to the House floor. First of all, tell us what uh, House Bill 4034 proposes to do. Well, it's sort of an omnibus bill, so there is a bunch of different stuff stuck in it. So we're talking about specific sections 9 through 12. And um, it's a good question what it actually does. This is part of the problem. Uh, One thing that we do know is that it it, uh, exempts the existing Reproductive Health Care Act uh, from a from a sunset provision, which basically means it would have to be re-upped every six years. It would have to be discussed and, and repassed every six years. We're not, um, they're, they're saying that this is a technical fix, of course. This is a controversial legislation that passed in 2017 that basically makes abortion for Oregonians um, free for anyone, even even non-residents, um, through a complicated uh, uh, mandates on insurance companies and, and other things that they wrote into it. So that was the first thing we were very concerned about. The second, the second issue was this broad authority for the Oregon Health, uh, the Oregon Health Authority, mm-hmm. which is the department name, um, to establish programs, including education programs on reproductive health that is not defined there were pro-life legislators who were in committee who tried to ask questions about it that were not answered. And um, so the, the people that are in charge of the legislature are pushing this through without really any definition of what it means. Unfortunately, it did pass the House floor this afternoon, mm. um, and it's now in the Senate. And really, this session only has a couple days left. So I really want to encourage people to try to email their senators in particular and ask them to vote no on this bill. I know for a lot of people, they're a little bit cynical about whether or not that makes a difference. Make the case for communicating with your senator and whether or not it does actually have some weight and influence. Um, I totally understand people's cynicism, um, but our responsibility really is not to the system. Our responsibility is to do what we know is right. Mm -hmm. And so it is very important for legislators to hear from their constituents. Um, If they never hear from a pro-life person that says, hey, I don't agree with this bill, will you please vote no? Um, They can go on their merry way thinking that nobody in their district disagrees with their position. And and on the other side, it's also necessary for our pro-life legislators who are, they get discouraged and it's difficult for them. Um, they, they need the encouragement. They need to know that people are out there and, and supporting what their values are. So it, it's our, I, I like to use a Mother Teresa quote, um, it, and it's that we're not called to be successful. We're call, called to be faithful. 
So what the decision is that is made by the individual legislators is according to their conscience, and they're going to be responsible for that. But we're also held responsible for whether or not we kept quiet. So even though you may feel like they're not going to listen, it does get tallied. Their staff members look through it. They might even see it. You you never know what Mm -hmm. they're going to be scrolling through while they're waiting for a vote. So it is really important to follow through and to communicate. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if I uh, am concerned about this legislation, and I'm hoping our listeners are concerned, what's the best way for me to communicate with my senator? Or if I don't know who my senator is, how can I find out? Well, we have a handy tool. If you'd like to use it, you can go to our website, ortl.org slash action, or just Google Oregon Right to Life and, and go on the Action Alert tab. And there's a tool there that will you can put in your name and your address, and it will find your legislator. If you're someone who is watching the legislature and kind of knows the drill, you can, you can directly go to the uh, Oregon Legislative website and find your state senator and email them directly from that. It's hard to find. It's hard to get people by the phone on the phone right now, um, and so I really do suggest email. But but you can call and leave voicemails as well. Well, I really so, ortl.org/action. Sorry, Georgie. No, I was just going to say I really appreciate your drawing our attention to this because I think sometimes we're lulled into a false sense of security, thinking this is a very short legislative session. They're not going to deal with. Uh, issues that would would necessarily be significant to me, but that is certainly not the case. Every time the Oregon legislature convenes, we need to have our ears (laughs) perked up and watch very closely what they're doing because, uh, as you pointed out, you have lawmakers whose questions haven't even been answered. Legislation makes its way through, and, and we don't even know precisely what all this is going to mean moving forward. So it's important for us to communicate with lawmakers, in this case, your senator in the Oregon legislature, regarding House Bill 4034 that's now before the Senate. As you mentioned, the legislature is only going to be in session for a few more days, so time is uh, of the essence. Yes, it, it really is. And I appreciate the opportunity to let people know about that. this. And um, don't get cynical. Keep on engaging. Keep on communicating. It's really important. You know, one of the ways I look at this is when I communicate with a sitting member of the House or the Senate, I'm I'm holding I'm informing them of what their conscience may or may not be uh, aware of. I'm holding them accountable and, you know, as you pointed out, the success may not be mine, but I do have an obligation to at least communicate truth. And uh, then they they have to wrestle with it on their own. And this is a tremendous uh, opportunity to do that. I also want to encourage our listeners. I receive from Oregon Right to Life on a regular basis when things are happening an email that provides uh, details on what legislation is before the legislature. If there's an event that Oregon Right to Life is sponsoring and so on. How can our listeners get on that mailing list, which I find extremely helpful? Well, thank you. I'm glad that you do. We we work very hard to make them informative and to not send too many. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to sign up. You can call our office and give us your email address, or you can go on the website right on the front page there. There's a um, there's a spot for you to add your email address. It's, it's very easy. 
Yeah, and again, I would encourage folks to do that. If you're pro-life, you want to know what's happening here in the state of Oregon, it's a great way to do that. Well, Lois, I appreciate Oregon Right to Life's work at the Oregon legislature, keeping us informed and giving us an opportunity to communicate uh, respectfully but forcefully with uh, lawmakers in Salem, at least for the next few days. Yes, thank you again for the opportunity. And I appreciate um, everyone, not only their action and emailing, but also their prayers as well. Absolutely. Thank you, Lois. Again, uh, Lois Anderson is executive director of Oregon Right to Life, the piece of legislation, House Bill 4034. Uh, Sections 9 through 12 make America's worst abortion law permanent and gives the Oregon Health Authority pretty much a blank check to push their abortion agenda. So your email or call to your lawmakers will make a difference. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with Danny Harlow. He is uh, with Harlow Wealth Retirement Hour, heard here on KPDQ. We're going to talk about retirement and investments in a time of uncertainty. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We've been talking about events as they're unfolding in the war between Russia and Ukraine, and these events have the potential and already are impacting the U.S. economy. Well, if you're in retirement or anticipating entering that season of life anytime soon, you probably have lots of questions about what to expect uh, to come from the markets because of these events. I heard a commentator just the other day say, well, 401ks just took a major hit. Well, is that true? And what does this mean moving forward? Well, here to talk with us about that is a representative from the Harlow Wealth Retirement Hour show. It's a weekly financial radio show and podcast series dedicated to providing the most up-to-date financial news and information for those at or nearing retirement. It's a fun and entertaining and easy-to-follow format that will provide you what you need to know. Well, Danny Harlow is the president and chief compliance officer for Harlow Wealth Management. He's a registered investment advisor. He's the primary host of the program, which airs every week right here on KPDQ. And he's also been featured in Newsweek magazine as one of America's premier individuals in financial planning. So we're delighted to... uh, Welcome, Danny Harlow, to make some sense out of all the things that we're seeing so that we can be better prepared. Welcome, and thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. And anything that I can add to the question, there is a lot of uncertainty. So we can definitely talk about that. Well, that's the big word, uncertainty. I suppose there's always a degree of uncertainty with regard to markets and investments and savings and 401ks and all of that. But the, the level of uncertainty at this point um, has got a lot of people very anxious. Let me ask you, given events that are taking place, the, the level of inflation that we're experiencing, the war um, between Russia and Ukraine, what can we expect uh, in the markets in the days ahead? And should we be concerned about our 401ks? Definitely, uh, Georgine. People that have money invested at all in the markets right now, they do need to be concerned. However, the investment management and the management people that we that we actually use, we're not really too concerned for the long term. It's more about the short term right now. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of volatility in the market, but even before the Ukraine situation, since January 1st, we've had a lot of volatility, basically because you know, we've had a lot of run up in the market over the past decade. So people have felt pretty comfortable but they also are getting very nervous. And a lot of nervous investors actually will create 
that volatility as well. But then we add Ukraine and we add, you know, nuclear weapons and all these other words out there that that are not really nice words to be talking about. It creates that volatility and people really do need to be concerned. But the biggest thing that we're seeing right now is because people have been comfortable with the way they've been invested over the past decade, we really feel like people have a little bit too much at risk at this particular time. So they're carrying too much risk, but they really don't know what to do as a result of that. So if I'm already retired, um, what might I expect? Because again, the focus is on long-term, but if I'm in retirement and I'm relying on my retirement uh, income, what should my current concerns be as opposed to someone who isn't retiring for a decade or more and they can write out this current set of circumstances? Well, that's a good question because in retirement, one of the, the, the things that we actually do with our clients, Georgine, is we provide what we call um, the Harlow way. It is our way of actually showing people how to retire because a lot of baby boomers have been educated on how to get to retirement, but Georgine, they don't really know how to get through it and beyond. And it's a completely different set of circumstances on how they should be invested. So they've done a good job of accumulating money, but now what do I do? And one of the things that I've said a lot, even on the uh, radio show, is that you need to have the type of portfolio that'll work in any economic situation. So no matter what, volatility is going to happen. Mm -hmm. But how much risk are you actually taking and what is the purpose? Sometimes people ask me, you know, quite often, where should I put my money? And really the answer to that is not as hard as you might think. It has to do with the purpose. So we have two kinds of income that people are needing in retirement. It's income that they need to have. And then, of course, there's income that they want to have. Those are two different numbers. It's kind of funny, but one you have to have. The other one is what you really would like to have to actually enjoy the retirement years. So that's what we help people really understand is what we call the probability of success that you will have in your retirement account. And when our clients or the people that we're talking to actually see what their probability of success is, it gives them a tremendous amount of confidence that they feel good about what they're doing. Then again, if they find out their probability of success in retirement is not as good as it could have been, that's when we talk to them about different things that they can do, different types of products that they need to be looking at that solve the purpose. Now, you um, made the statement that um, not only preparing for retirement, but preparing to live through retirement. At what point or is there a point at which it's too late to evaluate where you stand and make adjustments that make it uh, possible to gain the confidence you need that you will make it through retirement? Uh, is that something that has to precede your actual retiring, or is this something that can be done while you're in the middle of it? Oh, absolutely. Any time is a good time to take a check of what you're doing. Because a lot of people, for example, they don't know how much risk they're really taking because they don't know how to gauge it. They don't, they don't really know. Many people get into retirement, and they're still investing the same way as they were getting to it. Well, you, you really can't do that. You have to understand the purpose behind your money. So, for example, if you have Social Security, of course, if you're, you know, 66 and over, you got your Social Security. If you're blessed to have a pension, 
that makes things a little bit easier. But what are all of the sources of income that you actually have? And do you have a gap? And it's the gap that we really focus on a lot to help people understand what can they do with their 401ks or their TSP plans or IRAs? What can they actually do to fill in the gap and make sure that the income lasts the rest of their life? You don't want any uncertainty. Um, I had a I had a situation where a person told me, he said, well, I was with this other financial advisor and they told me that uh, I should comfortably live to age and not run out of money by the time I'm in 91 years old. Well, that person's mother was 97 already. (laughs) So it's like, well, gosh, you don't want to take that risk at all. You want to make sure that you have that guarantee that your money lasts as long as you do. And it's not hard to do. You just have to understand, you know, one of my, Favorite verses in the Bible is Proverbs 2.11. It says, understanding will watch over you. Well, you, once you have that understanding, it's not really that hard to know what to do. But that's what we help people understand. Well, we are living in uncertain times, and it's it's comforting to know that you can look at what you have in retirement, whether you're in the midst of it, you're anticipating retirement, or you're looking ahead at some distance, that you can manage your um your resources in such a way that you can gain that certainty that you talked about. Uh, I know that I'm thinking about retirement at some point in the not too distant future. And when I heard the comment the other day, you know, your 401k just took a hit. (laughs) I just sort of gasped and I, you know, being unsure about what to do about it. Tell us a little bit about your program and how listeners uh, gain an understanding of what retirement actually means, looks like and how to prepare and live through it. Georgine, that's, that's a really good question because we specialize more in helping people really understand that because, mm-hmm. again, a lot of people, the biggest bucket of money that most people have that we meet with today is their quote-unquote their 401k. There's several different types of programs, but let's just say it's their 401k. And, and it's the biggest bucket of money that they have. Understanding how to reposition those dollars to solve the goals of retirement is that's where the understanding comes in. So our program is called the Harlow Way. And it's really kind of a three-step program. Step number one basically takes five distinct areas that we're going to look at. You know, your your income needs, your investment needs, long-term care needs, you know, health needs, tax situation, and of course, estate. So everybody's situation is a little bit different. But everybody's situation touches everything in there. How are they going to leave money behind? What happened to taxes? You know, taxes we know are on the way up. Uh, Washington has been, you know, plugging that idea for people for for a while now. They just haven't done much about it, but you can be sure that taxes are going to rise in the future. So do I continue to feed my 401k account? with money that is going to be taxed in the future. And let me just say the one thing that um, I've done a study on 401ks for people. And I I did a little study on somebody that put money into a 401k for 25 years, which is, you know, that's what they've done. They're now at retirement time, getting ready to retire. They've got $600,000 in their retirement account. They want to take out 5%, so $30,000 to supplement the retirement that they have. The interesting thing about that concept, it doesn't, you know, that sounds like, okay, that's realistic. I could probably do that without a problem. But here's what I discovered. 
in 25 years of making tax deductions to their 401k, it took the government 4.16 years to recoup every single dime of tax savings that that person enjoyed for 25 years. Well, now it was on the, you know, the government's now on the profit side of the ledger, so to speak, of taxable income. So we need to start looking at programs like um, Roth conversions. Uh, I talk a, a lot about that on our radio program that we have to actually get as many dollars as you can into a tax-free environment. And you don't just do it all at once. There is a process. And part of our pro program that we use for planning for our clients, it's called e-money. It's, it's just one of the most fantastic planning programs I've ever experienced. And I, I did start in the business a long time ago, 1973, as a matter of fact. And it's the best program that I've ever seen to actually show a person what their probability of success is by using a variety of different market situations. It, it, we can actually run over a thousand different simulations of people being in the market, the good, the bad, and the ugly of what would happen to your money over your lifetime. Now that's very comforting for people to see mm -hmm. because once they, once they see that, in fact, I could give you several examples of people we have done this for, they didn't know if they could retire. You know, they want to, they think they can, but they really don't know. This program actually will help them know. And I've actually had people call me up the next week and say, Danny, I just wanted you to know, based on what you've shared with me, I actually retired and I can hardly wait. So it's like, <laughs> it's just having that information and that confidence and, what, and knowing what to do. And that's what we help them understand. Well, the Harlow Wealth Retirement Hour can be heard right here on KPDQ, and I should mention other stations as well. But here on KPDQ, Saturdays from 11 to noon, Tuesdays and Thursdays from 1 to 2 p.m. here on KPDQ FM and KPDQ AM. And I would encourage all of us, in fact, I'm making sure I have your number close by as well, I would encourage our listeners who are in or approaching retirement to be in touch to gain that confidence that you talked about, even in a time of uncertainty. Danny Harlow, thank you so much for talking with us today. I really appreciate your work. Yeah, it was a pleasure being on and an honor as well. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, today, of course, is Ash Wednesday. Now, for many uh, Christians who are not in liturgical churches, it's not something that's necessarily observed. But in a time of war, Russell Moore wrote a bit about how we should approach this occasion in which we prepare to recognize the sacrifice Jesus Christ made on our behalf. He writes that Putin's denial of death reminds Christians why we serve a Lord who conquered the grave. Uh, the piece was adapted from his uh, newsletter, and this is what Russell Moore wrote and was published in Christianity Today. Early in the Russian invasion of Ukraine, some longtime observers of Vladimir Putin speculated that he might soon use what he did before, mobile crematoriums. These incinerators aren't for the combatants killed in the, on the other side, but for the bodies of Putin's own troops. Such ghoulish machines would be employed to hide the number of fatalities to avoid humanitarian uh, humiliation, rather, humiliation abroad and loss of support at home. Regardless of whether these experts' predictions are right, Putin's impulse is to hide what this invasion will bring for Russian, 
armies, and that's death. As Christians around the world mark Ash Wednesday, perhaps we can remember that the Christian way of death is opposite of this invading tyrants. For both Christians who observe the church calendar and those who don't, this Ash Wednesday may be especially poignant. Many of us are only just now catching our breath after two years of pandemic that has killed countless people, upended the lives of everyone who survived it. And on all our television screens and social media feeds are images of brave Ukrainians holding their own against these um, um, those invading their homes and communities. In the backdrop of all this are possibilities we almost dare not even mention. A war spreading all across Europe or even, given the evident instability of the Russian dictator, the prospect of nuclear war. Putin operates out of what intelligence services and diplomats tell us is a nostalgia for the old superpower days of the Soviet Union. To do this, he projects an image, the shirtless warrior riding a horse, for example. The last thing he wants the world to see are the corpses of Russian soldiers. Such would suggest weakness. The Ukrainians, led by President Zelensky, seem to want the world and their own countrymen to see the opposite, the vulnerable people who are willing to die with honor and who are in desperate need of help. Putin's denial of death is not uncommon in the history of the world, especially in tyrants with delusions of empire. The pyramids of the pharaohs tried to present rulers who could, in some ways, transcend death. So do the images that other emperors employed of their own immortality and even Godhead, a godhood. To the prince of Tyre, God delivered an oracle through the prophet Ezekiel. Will you then say, I am God in the presence of those who kill you? You will be but a mortal, not a God, in the hands of those who slay you. Ezekiel 28. The fallen human view of ultimate power wants to project two things. I can hurt you and cannot be hurt. One would be hard-pressed to find a better symbol of both projections than the cross of the Roman Empire. Every crucifixion represented a threat. This can happen to our enemies, all from the eternal city aspiring to Godhead. Jesus upended all of that. Ash Wednesday is appropriate for wartime because it points to a deeper and even more dangerous war. The Bible says the human condition wants to conquer death, but not the way God intends, through the dependence that comes from uh, eating from the tree of life. Instead, we have listened to a different voice telling us, you will not certainly die if only you eat at his direction in order to become invulnerable, to become like God ourselves. At the end of that is ashes. We become subject, the Bible says, to lifelong slavery to him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. The power the evil one has held over us is fear of death. The more we fear death, the more we clamor for the kind of power and glory we can display to forget that we are but dust and dust we will return. The gospel answers that slavery to fear, not by a display of carnal strength, but by the one who is crowned with glory and honor through experiencing the very thing we dread most, the suffering of death. The answer to our slavery, to fear of what seems to be shameful to a world that loves power, the cry of a desperate infant, Abba, Father. This Ash Wednesday, Christians all over the world are standing with the people of Ukraine. Various church communions have planned vigils and calls for prayer. And we do so not because Ukraine is the more powerful nation or because we admire their strength in some social Darwinian way. The church says, uh, praise rather with Ukraine because they cause uh, because their cause is just and because they, like we, are vulnerable and imperiled and they know it. Ash Wednesday is about remembering that we will die and that's important. We are told to number our days and to remember that life is a vapor soon to vanish. You can find both references, one in Psalm 90, verse 12, and the other in James four fourteen. But it's also about how we die. 
joined to Christ, we have died with him in the most humiliating and shameful way possible. The way to glory is not the way of Rome or Russia or of our own desire to exalt or protect ourselves. The way of glory is the way of the cross. In wartime, dictators should remember that win or lose, they will die and that there will be no uh, invading or conquering the kingdom of God. At Ash Wednesday and all year round, we should remember this too. We began the program focusing on Ash Wednesday and anticipating the season of Lent and the cross. Galatians 6.14 seems like a good place to end. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. We are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.